Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Glad you are all here. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We're glad that you've spent uh, part of your day with us this morning. Had a great <clears throat> men's breakfast. Some of you guys were there. We had a packed house at 9.30. I think most of them hung around for that service for early mass. Um, but we had Don Graves. He is a World War II veteran, 98 years of age, and he spoke for us uh, for the men's breakfast. He uh, served on Iwo Jima, and it was amazing hearing his story of how God brought him through that, the lessons he learned from that, and the faith that he found through that. And so uh, we have recorded that, by the way. If you wanna uh, get a copy of that, you can. We'll be able to make that available to you before too long. But I'm glad you're here. We had a large number of volunteers. It was pouring down yesterday. Did you notice that? It was just pouring down. And they went out and served the CRC, hundreds of families. Uh, We're now over, gosh, 900 to 1,000 families every week that we're able to provide food for because of your generosity and your willingness to serve. Give yourself a hand. Thank you for that. That's really awesome. All right, this morning I want to close out this series, Table Talk. And uh, it's been a series where we've been talking about the importance and the significance of families. Now I'll tell you right up front, there's no perfect families. There are no little houses on the prairie. (laughs) I saw a sign one time in a little store that said, so it ain't home sweet home, so adjust. Right? Isn't that a pretty good word? Just adjust, deal with it. You know, every home is a little different. Every home has its own dynamic. And uh, I can tell you this, that all of us have in common, and that is there is an assault on the family today. Now understand there were three institutions that God established on the earth. He established the family. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. You have the establishment of the family. And then you have the establishment of government. God established government. Romans talks about the significance of government to pray for those who serve us in that way. And then thirdly, Jesus established the church the third institution while here on earth. He said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And I have found, and I think you might agree with me as well, the farther I go, the longer I live, the more I learn, I understand that as a home goes, so goes a church. And as a church goes collectively, so can go a nation. So we have a great responsibility, not just to our children and our grandchildren, but to our communities, to our churches as well, that we strive to have healthy homes. Now, I believe that the key to a happy home, when you ask most people what kind of home will you want, they say, I want a happy home. Well, we all want a happy home. But I believe that the key to a happy home is a healthy home. And if we will set an objective to have our home to be healthy, healthy in our relationships, healthy in our interactions with one another, the healthier our homes are, the happier, conversely, our homes will be. Now, I don't remember if you remember, or I can't, I don't know how many of you remember, I'll put it that way, buying your first home. Cindy and I hadn't been married very long. We were living in the apartments like most young people, young couples do. We were cliff dwellers, right? Living in the apartments. 
And then we had the opportunity to buy our first home, a little house in Watauga. We were so excited about that new home. And what we found about our first little house is that a house, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how proud you are of it, it takes constant maintenance uh, to sustain it. Something has always gone wrong. And when you have a landlord, that's kind of nice that you can say, hey, the plumbing doesn't work, toilet's backed up. You got a landlord. Guess what happens when you own a home? Right. You're the one. And that was a challenge for me because I had a mechanical bypass very early on in life. Not very mechanical. For example, Cindy calls me one day at work. She goes, honey, on the way home, would you pick up some air conditioning filters? We need to change those out. And I said, okay, well, you know, what size do we need? She goes, if I remember, it was like, you need 20 by 36 by one. 20 by 36 by one. So typical man, I don't write anything down, right guys? We can remember, absolutely we remember. So I'm thinking, okay, I got this 20 by 36 by one, 20 by 36 by one. So leave work, I'm on my way home. I go by, stop it, I don't know, Lowe's, Home Depot, somewhere. I'm looking around, I can't find them. They're not anywhere. I asked for help when I finally found a person and I said, um, uh, hey, um, I'm trying to find these air conditioned filters. You know, and then they said, well, it's gonna be down this aisle. And so, you know, I got on a bus and went down that aisle. And uh, all right, that's the last Home Depot low joke I'll make. And, uh, and so I finally got in, I, I didn't have them. I went to another store, didn't have them, went to True Value, didn't have them. And so when I got home, she goes, honey, where are the filters? I said, they don't have them. I went to three or four different places. She goes, none of them had them. I said, no. Now they had a lot of 36 by 20s by ones but they didn't have any 20 by 36 by ones. And you know, fellas, have, have you ever said something, I'm, I know you're not gonna admit this, but so incredibly stupid, you know, to your spouse, and they just look at you, and in that moment you knew, I, I wished I had thought about this before I said this, that was really dumb. Have you had that moment, and it just hit me how stupid that was, and she reached and took my hand, and she goes, honey, I'll tell you what, go back and buy them, and when you bring them home, we'll turn them. Well, I told that to the church a few years ago, and I had a couple of guys in the congregation gave me an AC filter converter chart that would help me going forward if you ever need help on that sort of thing. What's my point? My point is, as much as we loved our new home, as much as we enjoyed it and had fun in it, we had to maintain it. It did not maintain itself. And can I tell you what's true of our houses or true of our families? You can have a beautiful, wonderful family that you love with all your heart, but if you don't maintain your home, it will not sustain itself. Nothing stays the same and nothing fixes itself. It requires attention, it requires maintenance. So I just wanna to talk to you a little while about a divine discipline for a healthy home. In fact, if you have a Bible, look in Matthew 7, very familiar passage. Most all of you have either heard this at some point in time or you've read it, but it really bears repeating and it goes to the heart of what I wanna share with you before we leave. In Matthew 7, 24, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Now, what I've learned and probably what you already know is not everyone who hears God's word will put it into practice. There's a difference between hearing and doing. Uh, in fact, I'll stop here parenthetically long enough to say, in most churches, what we don't need is new revelation. I hear people all the time, I just wanna learn something new and I just want something you know, fresh that I've never heard before. I want new revelation. 
Well, I understand there is a desire to learn new things. Maybe you've never explored or you've never learned before. But, but let me tell you what I believe the heart of the issue is. I don't believe that it is new revelation that we need as much as it is obedience to the old revelation we've already received. Most of us really need to learn what we already know. Most of us know enough. I mean, if you're in a relationship, you ever been in a relationship, you know how to get in one. We just don't know always how to stay in one. <laughs> and most of us guys, and I'll speak to the men because that's my only perspective, right? <laughs> and that's the only thing I identify with. And so I'm just saying that most of us men know that if we could keep doing the things that we did when we won you over, we probably could keep you. So it's not new information we need, we just need obedience to old information that we already have. We know how to do it. And I'm just suggesting to your heart that Jesus was talking to people. He was saying, look, I'm teaching you truth. He said, but there's a difference between hearing something, learning that something, and putting that something into practice. And that was the challenge, because he goes on to say, if you hear the words and you put them into practice, you're a wise person. Now, I know there's only two classes of people in the world. There's the wise and the otherwise. <laughs> there are people who will put God's word into practice and people who don't. There are people who will hear the word of God and not just hear it, but they do it. Remember what James said? He said, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer. Think about the chaos and the dysfunction that happens in most families because we get together, we come into these church services called holy huddles, and we all get our assignment. We all know what I know what my role is as a husband or as a wife, as a parent, as a child. And when we break the huddle, we don't execute the play. And all of a sudden, there's chaos on the field. The ball is fumbled. The ball's dropped. I don't want to play football anymore. I'm going to play baseball now. This is not any fun. The game isn't fun. It doesn't make sense. And it's all because someone didn't follow up with their assignment. They didn't do what they knew to do, what they learned to do when they were in the huddle. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a wise parent, if you're going to be a, a wise spouse, then you need to apply the things that you've learned. Put it into practice. And he said, if you do that, you're like this person who builds their house on a rock. And then he says something strange. He says, the rains come, the streams rise, the winds blew, beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We say, Bill, what's strange about that? Well, what's strange about it is oftentimes we're told, if you get your family in church, if you make God the priority of your life, if you pursue him with all of your heart, you honor him with your giving and you honor him with your serving and you check all the boxes that we say you should do as a good faithful Christian, then you never have storms. Trouble never hits your life. Now, we think that sometimes and we're often even told that sometimes in sermons or we, inf we infer it that, man, you just trust Christ and you're just healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you don't realize sometimes you're, <laughs> you're sick, broke, and dumb. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work that way. And I guess I wanted to stop long enough to tell you that you can be doing the right things, you can be building your family on the right foundation, you can be checking all the right boxes, and listen, that will not exempt you from storms. Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and guess what? Bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. The, un the inevitable, unescapable reality of life is storms will come. They'll hit your life, they'll hit my life. 
And Jesus is not even saying that here's a way to avoid a storm in your family. He's not even going there. He's saying this is a way to survive a storm in your family. When the storms come, it is the secret to not having your house fall is the foundation upon which your house is built. So he says you have this contrast, you have this wise person who sees the value of building their house on the rock so when the storms come, the, route, the, the house doesn't fall. But notice in contradistinction there, everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like the foolish one who builds on the sand and the same rain comes and the same streams rise and the same winds blow and the same winds beat against the house but the difference is this one falls with a great crash. What's the difference? Number one, foundation. Foundation. Every structure is preoccupied with its foundation. It's important that you build on the right thing. You're building your life on something. You're building your relationship on something. You're building your values on something. Someone has well said, unless you have within you that which is above you, you eventually succumb to what is around you and you'll fall into what is beneath you. You need to have something solid and you need to have something steadfast in your life. And I believe the most solid, steadfast thing you can have in your life is a relationship with Jesus that is based upon his word. Financial security is important. Emotional health is important. The most significant thing you could provide for your family this morning is a good foundation and the foundation is their faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul said there's no better foundation that is laid than the foundation which is laid, and that foundation is Jesus. Sometimes people think, well, I'm building my, my foundation, I'm building my family on my religion. You know, I'm Baptist, or I'm Catholic, or I'm, you know, Assembly of God, or I'm whatever I am. And, they, and there's nothing wrong with that identity and there's nothing wrong with, with that tradition. I'm just suggesting to you, you can't build your life on religion. There's not a verse in the Bible that you could point out to me where Jesus ever said, get religion, go to heaven. Most people have to get over their religion. In fact, what Jesus said in John 14, six, he said, I am, I am. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said it is your relationship to Christ that is essential, that is foundational, not your religion. So I'm suggesting to your heart this morning that when we think about our family and we think about how we're trying to build our family, the first thing we need to know or the first thing we need to be certain of, are we building our families on the foundation of Christ? Do we, do we speak of him in our homes? Do we talk about him with our children? Is our faith a part of our life? Uh, I mean, you can't impose that on your children, nor would you want to, but you want to expose your children to enough teachings about Christ that when they're old enough, we pray they'll own their faith. We have kids, and when we have, when we have now I have grandkids, and I can tell you, when Cindy and I first had kids, one of the first things we pray that these kids will own their faith. We want them to have a personal relationship with Christ that I, that's apart from my relationship. And while Cindy was here, that was a part of hers. We want them to own their faith. 
And what you'll find is what we found is that the more you expose them to uh, the teachings of Christ and the more that they're around uh, a, a committed congregation like this one to the teaching of God's word, the earlier typically they'll embrace that and own it. Statistics prove out that most kids make a commitment for Christ, the greatest majority of them before they're 16. In fact, I think it's 80 or 90%. And then the percentages begin to drop from there. So it's important as a family, as we're thinking about having a healthy home, that we look at the foundation upon which the home is built. Because Jesus is saying storms are going to come, whether you're in church or you're out of church, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't. Storms are still going to come. You can't avoid them. I, I said that a moment ago. You can't escape them. What's significant is how you will endure the storm. And he's saying the chances of weathering the storm with your home intact is guaranteed if the home is built on the right foundation. So could I ask you this morning, where are you building your, what, what foundation are you building your family on? Is it a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that the thing you speak of? Is that the thing you, you talk about? So the foundation. Number two, once you have established the foundation, now you need to begin to look at the structure. What is the formation of this home? Um, what is it gonna look like? What are the values that we embrace? What, what's important about the formation of my, of my home? Um, architect Lewis Sullivan, he coined the maxim, form follows function. You've heard that, I'm sure. He went on to say, the question you ask is, does this design work? Or as that great theologian, uh, Dr. Phil says, uh, how's that working for you? <laughs> I mean, every now and then you gotta look at your family and say, this ain't working. <laughs> Whatever we're doing is not working. You gotta identify where is the dis dysfunction within this family. There's something we're doing that's obviously not working and repeating the old habits isn't fixing it and avoiding it isn't fixing it. You remember the old uh, definition of insanity is when you continue the behavior expecting the different result? Heard about a guy, they said he banged his head against the wall because he said it felt so good when he stopped. <laughs> I mean, there's times in your life when you just have to say, what we're doing is not working. We don't have a happy home. We don't have a healthy home. Let's start with the foundation. Is this a, a family that is embracing our faith? Do we have faith? And then if you say, yes, we have faith, I know it's there. We believe in Jesus. We talk about him. We pray to him. Uh, you know, we, we do our best to serve him. So that's in place. But, but how, are we, how are we forming the family? How are we functioning as a family? Because remember the form a function, the function follows the form. Uh, I read an interesting article by a, a family sociologist and several in this study agreed with the findings of the sociologist that there were three markers for a dysfunctional family, three. It said, number one, it's a family that doesn't talk. They don't talk to each other. They're not open about anything. The lines of communication are just completely broken down. Corey talked last week about the significance of doing away with the distractions, turning the phone off, <laughs> the television, for example. It's like everything in our world dominates and takes our attention except the ones we love the most. We give the least amount of time to. <laughs> and one of the earmarks of a dysfunctional family is a family that, that doesn't talk. 
Number two, a family that doesn't trust. There's no trust. They don't trust the other members of their family, so they can't be open. And it leads to the fact that they don't even trust themselves, so they hold secrets and they don't share because they don't think they can trust anyone. And all that begins to turn inward. And eventually the third marker is they then don't feel. They don't feel. They don't have compassion before other people because you can't give something you don't have any more than you can come from somewhere you've not been. So if you're not healthy in and of yourself, how are you gonna be a healthy parent or a healthy spouse or a healthy child? You have to, first of all, that health has to begin within your own heart. And they say these qualities of dysfunction, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, are markers of a family that is not working according to healthy function. Conversely, let me give you some healthy patterns of a healthy functional family. Number one, good communication, right? where you make time and you take time to talk to one another. And, and, and like Corey hit last week, if you don't make the time and take the time, it doesn't come automatically. So you have to have a moment, you have to have time every day when you talk to you. Number two, unconditional love. One of the things you should communicate to your children, especially is no matter what you do or where you go, there's nothing you could do that would make me love you less. Kids need to feel unconditional, why? Because God loves his kids unconditionally. He makes no provision in his love. He doesn't say, I'll love you if, or I love you because. He says, I love you in spite of, that's grace. So you have good communication, you have unconditional love. The third marker is a family that embraces joy. Remember, that is different than happiness. So the goal is to have a happy home, but that's not always the case because Happiness comes from the old English word happenstance. We don't use that word anymore, we use this one, circumstance. So it used to be said that if your hap was good, you'd be happy, happenstance, you're happy. Because that deals with circumstance. Joy is different. Joy is something you can have when the storms are hitting your home. Joy is something you can have when you're not happy. You can still have joy. It is an inward sense of contentment that somehow you know deep within your soul that whatever you're going through is temporary and somehow or another, this is going to work for our good and for God's glory, joy. Another thing to strive for in your home is sensitivity is trying to, lead, to read not only other, each other's um, words, but, but to read each other's attitudes. And, and sometimes you have to be sensitive because kids and people will shut down. And finding ways where they're comfortable about opening up is important and essential to identifying a little problem that could become a big problem if it's not addressed. So I would say, Lord, help me to be sensitive to my spouse. Help me to be sensitive to my kids. Help me to be discerning of their moods and learn to listen to them, not just with my ears, but being sensitive means I'm listening with my eyes. I'm hearing what you say, but I'm seeing something different in how you're acting. I'm worried about you, I'm concerned. You know I'm a safe person, you can talk to me, right? Having those kinds of conversations. And then the last thing on forming a house that functions is balance. Man, trying to achieve balance. And boy, isn't that a challenge? With all the plates you get spinning, trying to find balance in your family, it really is based on priorities. The best way to find balance is establish priorities. And I can give you, biblically, I can give you four or five that I can support with scripture. Number one, God, that's foundation. 
Not God in relation to your church, but God in relation to your relationship. God, if you have no church. God, if you never went to church, you need God. That's foundational. So you have God. In the beginning, God. That's where the Bible starts. Good place. <laughs> Secondly would be your spouse. He established Adam and Eve in the garden, so he established the priority of, 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 of a marriage. So if you're married, then that would be your spouse. Um, thirdly would be kids. If you're a single parent, that's your kids. If you're mom and dad parents, still your kids. So you have that priority. I have my relationship with God, my spouse, my children. Um, then the fourth thing he said to Adam was take care of this place. <laughs> Work. I heard somebody say, well, man, if uh, man hadn't sinned, if there hadn't been a fall in the garden, we wouldn't have to work. That's not true. Did you know if you look back and you look at the order, work was established before sin entered the picture. Now, sin makes work harder, thorns and thistles and all the other. But in other words, God designed us to work. Even if you're retired, you need to find something you do. I mean, doctors will tell you, if you quit doing anything, your body starts breaking down. I mean, it's not good for you mentally or physically. You need to do something. If you got time, we'll put you to work right up here, man. We got plenty to do, right? So I'm just suggesting to you that God designed work. So you, okay, let's put it together. I got God, my relationship with him. I have my spouse, my kids. Uh, then I have my work. And then number five is worship. He established the altar system and he established the principle of worship. So I could, put, uh, I could put my church right there, right? That's a priority. Now you could add number six, your, relation, your friends, you could put number six, whatever. I mean, you go crazy. I can give you five biblical priorities. Now what am I saying? I'm saying sometimes I gauge my, my uh, schedule according to my priorities. What that means is you have to know how to say no to certain things. You, you can't agree to do everything. Sometimes you just have to say, I, I don't have time. It's not on my top five. You're number eight. <laughs> I don't know if you say that, but anyway. <laughs> you could say it sweetly. You're not in my top five. No. But the point I'm making is you, you, you're a, you are a limited resource. You can't be everything to everyone. You can't do everything for everyone. You, you, you are a very limited resource. So God only gives you what you need to get you through the day. And so if you're running on empty or you're burning you know, the fuel, that means you're burning some fuel that he hadn't given you yet. So make sure the people that are getting that attention are the people who are in your top priority. It's a good way to achieve balance. Can I give you a plug for church? I'm talking to the choir. You guys are here. I just commend you. Did you know statistics show that if families attend church faithfully, 72% of their kids will embrace church as they get older. Conversely, if a family does not attend church regularly when the kids are little, only 6% of those kids ever go to a church at all. What's the principle? Well, kids learn what they live. If it's not important to us today, don't expect it to be important to them tomorrow. So we establish priority balance. What is it? That's forming a family. It's how we should function, so we're not into dysfunction. Here's the last one, we'll go home. Thirdly, not only their foundation, their formation, number three, their fortification. I love again, verse 27. He said, even though the family went through what they went through, it didn't fall. The family, how, how, what's another way to put it? Your family stayed together. A little battered from the storm, a little banged up from the storm, a little bruised from the storm, maybe. A little wiser from the storm but you stayed together. It didn't fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. You know what happens when you embrace God and you honor him and you make him the priority, not just of your life, but of your family? You know what happens then? 
you can embrace the fact that he said in Hebrews 13, hey, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When you commit your life to him, he commits his life right back to you, and that means you have his presence. You have his presence. I don't know if you've gone through anything in your family when you've prayed about it and you feel like the heavens are brass and the prayers aren't getting above the ceiling fan. You ever had those moments where you just feel like you're having some sort of a spiritual inner monologue? <laughs> you don't feel God's hearing you? Can I tell you he hears you? He hears you. He's got this, he's got you, he's got that. His promise is, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You have his promise. You know what else you have? You have his protection. You know why? You're in his hand. He said, no one can take them from my hand. It, to get to you, it has to go through him. You have God's incredible protection. What did the psalmist write? Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help when in trouble. When I'm in trouble. Sometimes we don't think of God till we get in trouble. But it's beautiful to know that when I'm in trouble in the middle of a storm, he's there. Remember what he said to Noah when he invited him in Genesis 7 to come in? He, he didn't say, go into all the, Noah, you and your family, go into the ark. That's not what he said. You know what he said? Come into the ark. You know what that meant? He was on the inside. God will never send his kids somewhere that he's not. Remember the three Hebrew children in the fire in Daniel? You know what the great thing about it? When the king looked into the fire, he said, didn't we throw three in there? I see four. And the fourth is likened to the son of God. He may not keep you out of the fire. Instead, he may go through the fire with you, but you never go through anything that he's not there. Even when we're ready to leave this life, you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. When the psalmist wrapped his mind around the presence of God and God's protection, he said, where will I go to flee from God? If I go into the stars, you're there. If I go into the depths of the earth, if I could make my bed in hell, he said, you are there. I can't go anywhere that you're not. You have his protection. You have his presence. Thirdly, you have his provision. That beautiful verse in uh, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need. Didn't say your greed. He said your need. <laughs> all your need. How? According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not out of his riches and glory, but according to. You know what that means? If he had said, God will supply all your needs out of his riches and glory, that would have been each time he meets my need or yours, it's depleting some of the riches that he has in glory. But that's not what he says. He says, you don't have a need that I don't have a supply. I, I'm blessing you and providing for you and not even touching the supply. It is according to, not out of. So there's nothing you face that he can't handle. There's no challenge you've got that's too big for him. There's not, a, there's not a place in the Bible where God ever says, you're asking too much of me. Ease up, slow down, ask smaller things. In fact, the Bible says, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. I told my son-in-law, that's the dentist verse. <laughs> Get it, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it, okay. But the idea is God is expecting big things. I read this, and I'll let you go. I read this um, when, um, when uh, Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize. A reporter, one of the many, asked her, if you had any advice to the world, 
What would you tell the world to bring peace and harmony? What, what would you say to the world if you could give them advice? You know what she said? She said, I would tell the world, go home and love your family. Go home and love your family. You still have your kids with you, go home and hug those kids. Tell them mom is a safe person. Tell them dad's a safe place. You can always come to me. I, I want the relationship to be good with us. No matter what you do or where you go, <laughs> I'll always love you. You can always come to me. And you know what? That's gonna build some health, some security within your babies. They may be big babies. You may not be able to get them up in your lap. But your legs may fall asleep now. But you still assure them of your love. You care for them. You can change the world by loving your family. What a beautiful thought that is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Father, I, I pray for all the families represented this morning and all those watching online, those who will watch. Lord, we all want our families to do better and to be better. We don't always know how to do that. So Lord, help us just to take that which we know to do and apply it. Our faith, which is foundational. Trying to develop some new disciplines within our home things that we can actually do. And then at the end of the day, resting in your promise, in your presence, with your protection. Knowing, Father, you've got us and you've got this. And there's nothing that we go through that we cannot get through. So Lord, I, I lift these families up to you. I pray you'll bless them. Give them a good week. Watch over them. Lift the burdens that they carry. Lord, there are, as we said, no perfect homes. Everybody's struggling with something. So I pray for them today. Thank you for their presence. I pray you'd bless them. And finally, Lord, if there's one in the room or one watching who may never have trusted you as their personal savior, I pray this would be the moment right where they are, where they say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. Be a reality in my life. And I pray this prayer in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.